amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Today's Word Balloon is brought to you by Comics Experience, the world's most respected online comic book university, now publishing through SourcePoint Press. If you're an aspiring comics creator, Comics Experience offers a full slate of courses as well as a 24-7 online creator's workshop to help you hone your skills, network, and collaborate with other tested creators. And ultimately, they offer a path to publication with a reputable publisher. Their instructors and staff are working professionals in their field and trained instructors. Critiques and reviews are by peers and professionals alike. Their alumni have worked for all major publishers, and their name graces the fronts of books routinely solicited by the Big Two and the front of previews publishers. Comics Experience was founded by Andy Schmidt, former Marvel and IDW editor and author of the upcoming book, The Comics Experience Guide to Writing Comics specifically to help those trying to break into the industry. You can learn more about Comics Experience programs, including the publishing program, at comicsexperience.com. Don't forget to sign up for their newsletter when you stop by the website, and you can follow Comics Experience on Twitter at Comic Experience. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Word Balloon, the comic book conversation show. John Suntress here, really excited about today's episode Michael Kupperman is here to talk about his graphic novel, All the Answers. Now, Michael's an amazing comic book creator. Uh, I love his comics, Tales Designed to Thrizzle, from Fanagraphics. He's also done uh, a great Mark Twain autobiography. And uh, now he is uh, back to talk about his complicated relationship with his father, Joel Kupperman. Joel Kupperman, as a child, was a huge radio star during the World War II years. He was a contestant on the show called The Quiz Kids, which featured school children answering tough questions sent in by audience members, and Joel was the math whiz of the show. Here's the introduction of the show, and you'll hear a six-year-old Joel Kupperman as one of the contestants. We're going to get right down to business tonight, Quiz Kids. It's roll call. Harvey? I'm Harvey Bennett Fishman. I'm 12 years old and in the eighth grade at the Bradwell School in Chicago. Joel? I am Joel Kupperman. I am six years old in 2A at Volta School. Smila? I'm Smila Brin. I'm 15 years old, and I'm a sophomore in Hunter College High School. You know, Hello, folks, Smila was on our quiz kids board once in Chicago and walked right out with a high score. So we're very happy to see her again in New York. Richard? I'm Richard Williams. I'm 13 years old and in the eighth grade at Roosevelt School, East Chicago, Indiana. Gerard? I'm Gerard Darrow. I'm 10 years old and I'm in 6th day at Bradwell School in Chicago. And Frederick. I'm Fred Allen. In two more years, I'll be getting Social Security. <laughs> now, this show uh, was a huge success. It ran for many years in the 40s into the early 50s, onto early television as well. It was produced here in Chicago. You would think this would be an idyllic life, but Joel really just wanted to be a normal kid, and that's what you get out of... This graphic novel from Michael, what should have been a wonderful experience, meeting celebrities and dignitaries, two presidents, um, it didn't sound like it was a pleasant experience for Joel. It really impacted him into his adult life. We hear about his uh, 
eventual leaving math completely and uh, turning his academic world into the world of philosophy. And uh, also a decision in his uh, early adulthood to come back to quiz shows on the television quiz shows of the late 50s and early 60s, specifically the $64,000 answer. Now, if you know your um, old movies from the 90s, there was a great movie called Quiz Show that examined uh, that period of television and the scandals involved because uh, those shows were manipulated, kind of like wrestling, where uh, the contestants knew the answers in advance and producers would pick people they felt were telegenic to continue to be the winners. And so these contests were actually rigged. So uh, that was an interesting facet in uh, Joel's career that Mike talks about. And uh, really, this is just an amazing conversation. I uh, am an old-time radio fan and uh, heard Mike's dad and heard many episodes of the Quiz Kids. Had no idea about some of the motivations of why the show was produced. And also uh, his dad's unpleasant experience of being a child thrust into the spotlight of pop culture when he really didn't want to be. It's kind of a sad story, but it's a fascinating story, and I hope you enjoy it on today's Word Balloon. Word Balloon is brought to you by InStock Trades at InStockTrades.com. There is some great Michael Kupperman product for you to get at InStockTrades.com. You can get the two volumes of Tales Designed to Thrizzle, both the first the trade paperback, volume one, 50% off, just $11.49, or you can get the hardcover of volume two at 30% off, $17.49. They also have Michael's Mark Twain autobiography, as it says in the description, Michael Kupperman's already indulged his love for Mark Twain in the pages of Tales Designed to Thrizzle, but the recent publication of Twain's real autobiography inspired the cartoonist to a full-blown book-length masterpiece. See how Twain hunted the Yeti, met the $6 million man, had a love affair with Mamie Heisenhower, and accidentally became involved in an X-rated film. This book is 30% off and just $13.99. You get a lot more great books at In Stock Trades. Don't forget, if your orders are $50 or more, you'll receive free shipping. But check out the great books waiting for you at InStockTrades.com. All right, without further ado, let's get into our conversation with Michael Kupperman. Fascinating story about his dad and his relationship with his father. The story of Joel Kupperman in All the Answers. Here's Michael Kupperman on Word Balloon. Michael Kupperman, welcome to Word Balloon. Man, a longtime fan and uh, really excited for this new book, All the Answers. Congratulations. Thank you so much. Yeah, I'm excited too. If, if exhausted as well. Yeah, man, I'm, I personal, you know, journey and um, something that we see a lot in, in, in certain comic books. And I'm so used to your sense of humor that um, I think, you know, this this book really even hit me more because I know you dig deep and you're, you're facing some, uh, you know, really tough uh, relationship issues with your father in this book. Yeah, in some ways, it's a 180 from uh, all the work I've done before. Yeah. Uh, thematically and emotionally well and we learn a lot i mean you know i'm i'm from wilmette illinois and am i correct did your dad go to marie murphy or avoca schools back then uh he went to something called volta uh school and then um i'm trying to remember what was the name of his high school but uh he went to this niche school called volta which i think he really liked okay uh, until he was i think 12 I see. Okay. Um, did he grow up in Wilmette or did he grow up in the, in the North uh, Chicago suburbs? In North Chicago, yes. Okay. Oh, was it specifically North Chicago or? 
I believe so, yes. Okay. Uh, I don't have the address in front of me, but yeah. it was north of Chicago, is how it's always been described. Okay, very cool. Interesting. I, uh, you know, um, I'm an old time radio fan, and I uh, and I listened to your dad on on many quiz show, or quiz kids shows, and um, man, I'll tell you, I, you know, who would think this this story is incredible? Uh, your your dad, a child prodigy, in I mean, it's funny you kind of even kind of struggle with that. I think in the book as well, in terms of well, you you explain it in terms of your your thoughts on the idea of a, of a child prodigy. Well, he was presented along with some of the other kids on the show as a child prodigy and really displayed, especially during World War II, as a as an incredible example of a, you know a developed child. He felt certainly in later years he insisted that he was not a prodigy um, because, it, as he described it to me, a prodigy is someone like Mozart who starts out doing something as a child and does it incredibly well. And then continues into adulthood and does the same thing even better and, uh, you know, is a master. And whereas he um, pretty much abandoned math after the show and only only used it for his taxes. Uh, Yeah. That's it. You know, so so the question is, was he a real prodigy in the show destroyed his potential or was he not really a prodigy, just someone who was – you know, skilled at making calculations and and had a good memory and uh, you know a good head for for answering questions. But he also had this incredible IQ, right? What was the number? It was two nineteen. Yeah, <laughs> and I genius mean, is like one hundred and eighty, right? Yeah, no, it's very high. Einstein's was one fifty five. But uh, That's I mean, a good point. Go on. <laughs> knowing him really, you know, showed, and I've. Of course, see it reflected all the time since that you know intelligence, as he says in the book, is not a single field. It's it's very much sure. you know uh, people can be very intelligent in one area and extremely slow in others. And in fact, I I think it's it's more pronounced when someone is extremely intelligent. They can be incredibly naive in other ways. Understood. Yeah. And uh, again, we get we get that sense from uh, this investigation in your father's history and also evaluating what was his status quo while you were interviewing him and, and trying to get his, his personal story. Uh, it's, it's incredible, man. I mean, you would think on the surface and uh, certainly younger listeners, you know, see enough examples of child stars and, and obviously the fantasy is my God, what an incredible life. And in a lot of ways it was, but we really do get the dark side of this. And I think in a way and in a decade that, it's kind of, you don't hear much about that anymore. You know, there's the the Hollywood Mickey Rooney's and Elizabeth Taylors that grew up in the studio system, and but this is a this you know again it's such a it's such a weird little thing. And of course, radio stars I think might be alien to uh, to today's uh, younger culture. Yeah, for sure. It's it's a world that lasted only a certain amount of time, from I guess the early '30s till you know. I mean, radio still exists, obviously, right. but the golden age. <laughs> I really died that. when uh, when TV was starting. Yes, was absolutely. Late. Yeah, late forties, late forties, early fifties, certainly. Um, yeah, the like I said, the uh, I, I listened to the Quiz Kids. It seems like this benign entertainment, but um, it, it also obviously really, you know, your your dad was kind of a reluctant participant, I guess. Yeah, and it, it definitely had a dark side at times. Uh, it was it was always painted as something very wholesome. But certainly, there were some people badly hurt by the show and their involvement in it. Uh, Jared Darrow being a great example. 
of, of someone who really felt like his life had been destroyed. Wow. That's amazing. And then again, like you say, and it's in the book, all these incredible uh, your versions, I'm, I'm assuming you, you kind of either lightboxed on a photograph and kind of redrew it a bit, uh, but like pictures of your dad with uh, Truman and uh, so many celebrities, and, and you have a lot of celebrity encounters in the book as well. Uh, and, and, you know, yeah, but, uh, but also, uh, unfortunately, uh, a very domineering backstage mother. Yeah, well, she was the impetus that kept it all going. But yeah, even at the time when people were very polite in their descriptions of each other and very uh, reserved, she was described frequently as a uh, as a stage mother. She was the most stage mothery of all the quiz kid parents. And uh, yeah, she was she really was getting something from all these meetings with uh, famous people. When did you discover your dad's history as this child radio star? Well, it was kind of always lurking, as in the book. You know, I heard it on Rocky and Bullwinkle, and it was it would come up occasionally here and there, or you'd find reminders. His fame hadn't completely faded yet by the 1970s. People would sometimes ask me if I was related to him, so I was always aware from a young age that it was something that happened, but it was also something that was very much you know, locked away in a glass case, metaphorically. You weren't supposed to really talk about it, ask questions, or display any interest uh, because it was understood that it caused him pain. Wow. Man, and how how young were you when you were processing this? Well, I mean, I, I probably was aware of it at age five or so. Okay. You know. um, but you, you just don't understand. And then... Uh, you know, when when something is is ver- forbidden as a subject, you stop thinking about it, and uh, so I hadn't really considered a lot of it until till later when I started to you know want to do this project and want to find out what you know really had gone on. Well, I mean, the obvious is we are what you know our families help make us what we are, and how can you figure out yourself if if you're you know your parents aren't willing to share sometimes and i mean god this is a universal problem uh i did you see the zen diaries of uh, gary shandling the hbo documentary i've watched part of it so far yeah it's uh it's interesting stuff yeah and i and i also think unfortunately that's one of the things that comes out is this very complicated relationship he had with his mother very different from from your father's experience but um yeah i mean uh again your dad came on quiz kids uh, how young? Five, six? Five. He was five when he first appeared. Wow. And yeah. was on it until his high school years, right? Yeah, he was on until he was 16, and there are indications that they wanted him to continue, even past 16, which was the official graduation age from the show. But uh, as as I say in the book, I don't know exactly how and when he left the show. It's very, very mysterious, but uh, he he obviously had had enough. And that's part of the mystery of the the book, and also what you had to deal with interviewing your father. Um, a combination, I, I suppose, of you know what what happens as as some of us get older, and then also uh, just the the hurt that he was feeling really kind of probably suppressed a lot of memories and, and insight into the whole experience of being this young national figure. Yeah, I think he had effectively, in a way, brainwashed himself so that he would have as few as possible memories from his childhood and early adulthood. And um, then when he started to descend into dementia, it felt almost um, 
you know, willful. Like he, 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 there was a further retreat from having to remember or think about this stuff. Did it upset him? I mean, did, you know, I mean, that's the tough thing is, you know, I understand, like I said, you're, you're trying to figure out yourself along with your father and yeah. to get to this kind of stuff. It, I mean, it comes through in the book. It, it must've been painful for both of you. Well, he, uh, yeah, he, he, it, it started during an era when he gave me permission. I mean, that's really where this whole thing um, began when, during a period when he was at least affecting not to care about any of that stuff. But I realized that was just a further guise, you know, a further uh, yeah. a potent posture. You know, he, yeah. he was still very upset. And then later on, he started to return to where he'd been before. And in fact, he asked me not to to do the book at a certain point. And I had to say, I'm sorry, I, I've worked so hard on it at this point. I really have to keep going. Wow. Um, you know, and, uh, and then now, as I, as I say, he, he, you know, he, he doesn't have any concrete memories really left or, you know, he can't grab onto any reference point about that subject matter, but he still acts very distressed if you bring it up. Wow, man. Well, yeah, I mean, and I guess that is sometimes what, some of the elderly are left with is just really their emotions and they can't even articulate it beyond just a hurt feeling or a happy feeling. Yeah. I've seen it in my family, man. And it, it's so, it's something, you know, a lot of us have to face and that role reversal that happens of, you know, the parent, the parents become the ones that the children take care of. Um, yes. yeah, man. Um, it's a fascinating story. And again, just this odd irony of this public record of your father's fame and then contrasted with his own, you know, just not wanting even to think about it, let alone talk about it or, yeah, share, share the experience. Because, yeah, what, I mean, this is such a unique thing. But I also appreciate, again, there's that innocence of listening to uh, a radio show or watching a, te- a television show on the surface. And you don't realize some of the machinations that are going on behind it. And I found that fascinating that the quiz show producer had a... A, a political agenda at an understandable time, and uh, if you don't mind talking about that a bit. No, of course not. He was uh, the producer was a man named Louis G. Cowan, who is uh, a, an important figure in the development of both radio and television, but doesn't have his own Wikipedia page uh, today, which I find astonishing. Interesting. Have there he, been biographies about the guy? Go on. The guy, go on. No, no, there have been no biographies. Uh, there's very little attention paid, which is astonishing because he was very much uh, someone who built – was one of the people who built the television that we know today. He was very – when he became president of CBS, he was pushing for hour-long dramas and intelligent television and believed in it as an art form as well as a populist form. Um and he invented, in some ways, the modern game show, which led to his downfall with uh, the quiz show scandal. Yes. But he's a really interesting figure, and I, I still want to know more about him. And he was one of the people in charge of the uh, United States radio propaganda program during World War II and helped found uh, Armed Forces Radio, among other things. But he was directly involved in propaganda services, both in America and abroad. And the development specifically of the Quiz Kids, which, you know, hey, man, I'm this American Greek kid from <laughs> from Chicago. And, and yeah. honestly, it just – and thankfully, especially now when we are so concerned – and believe me, we need a lot of help in the culture wars in terms of acceptance and things. But this was a 1940s acceptance problem. 
that the producer was addressing with the kid, uh, quiz kids regarding anti-Semitism. I believe so. I mean, I believe I don't, I don't know exactly how it developed, but that's my belief that it was partly that uh, it was a way to show a positive image of, of Jewish people and Jewish children uh, during the war. Um, but there's also the, the fact, which um, I, I'm also curious to learn more about, that the United States was uh, influencing media in America and suggesting to producers what they should include and what they could and couldn't do, mm-hmm. which is mm-hmm. uh, something we don't hear much about these days. And, um, it, you know, it's something that I don't think would fly these days. But it is interesting that the government and the media were working hand in hand to improve uh, racial relations and other issues, uh, where, whereas these days it seems almost like they're doing the opposite. Absolutely. Well, there's almost – yeah, they, they – there's a laissez-faire kind of attitude towards broadcasters. I think the last time what you're describing happened was probably in the early 1970s when the Nixon administration went to the networks and said, hey, tone down the violence. Oh, right, yes. And, and you, and there you go, man. And exactly, we're the same age, so we remember. So shows like Gunsmoke that, you know, the name is Gunsmoke, became much more social problems of the Old West. And, God, it, felt, it forced the wild, wild West off the air. Because- well, in fact, no, I... I- I have to say, I think the last, uh, I mean, there was General Wolf's war on violence in the networks, but uh, the Nixon administration then went into trying to influence content on the networks as yep. far as news coverage, which really was part of their downfall. Absolutely, man. No, no, no question. Um, I, uh, yeah, it's it really, uh, this, this book takes some am- amazing turns. And I was expecting, because I had heard through, too, through the years, there had been uh, Quiz Kid you know, just uh, revivals or, hey, let's celebrate the quiz kids. What are they doing now? Uh, certainly a, a, a refrain that would happen a lot in, in columns and uh, and you g- provide, ex- you know, examples of that as well. Whatever happened to these uh, people, these kids? Well, especially in Chicago. Where, uh, Absolutely, yeah. man. And that uh, your dad would not, you know, participate, kind of famously so. Right. There was a there was a Sunday morning with Charles Kuralt, uh episode, which I, I have not been able to find. Interesting. Uh, Go on. But I, it wasn't him. I think it was Charlie Osgood or one of the other anchors. But it's uh, it's about that Quiz Kids reunion that was thrown at the school where my father taught. Um, and he made a very conspicuous point of leaving the country while that was going on. And they interview wow. people about him and why he's not there. And uh, read from a letter I think he wrote to another quiz kid about why he would not ever take part in those things. Are there any other surviving quiz kids that you were able to speak to? Your your aunt was also a quiz kid. Yes, I talked briefly to my aunt. Um, the one other surviving quiz kid from the kind of classic set is uh, um, Richard Williams, and I did not speak to him. Um, and then Harv Bennett and Ruth Duskin passed away uh, while I was working on the book unfortunately. Um, so no, I have not really talked to any other surviving quiz kids. I've talked to some other older people who knew my, my father and, um, you know, sometimes you're able to get really interesting information from people of that age, but more frequently they have a kind of patina of, of, of their recollections that, you know, really renders things, uh, 
you know, they're, they're giving you a picture of what they remember. Sure. This is what I mean. Absolutely. You mentioned Harv Bennett, and I'm glad you bring him up in the book. Uh, I was surprised. Uh, I, what was his original name? He changed his name uh, as he got older. Harv Fishman, and then he changed it to Bennett, yeah, when he decided to go into show business. Yeah, Harf, Harvey Fishman, who, if again, if you go to old-time radio and listen to any of these uh, Quiz Kid episodes, you'll hear Harvey Fishman. He became Harv Bennett, became a very uh, successful television and film producer, and, uh, what, I mean, I'm a, I'm a Star Trek fan, and I know a lot of my listeners are as well. Yeah, it's that Harv Bennett of the Star Trek films, and Six Million Dollar Man, and Bionic Woman, and a couple dozen other television shows of you know varying success. Pretty interesting. Yeah, I think he he came into Quiz Kids at a better age. I think he started on Quiz Kids when he was eleven. For him, it was you know a fun adventure. I mean, I've seen him being interviewed about it. Uh, you know, and he talks about what an amazing adventure it was traveling to nearly every state. You know, meeting some some of the most famous people in America at the time, and uh, you know how full his autograph book was and. Uh, you know, I think he just enjoyed it for what it was, and then afterwards he took it as a bit of a springboard and went into show business. And uh, he seems to have been someone who really enjoyed the whole experience. Yeah, in contrast to your father, who, man, again, great, great celebrity story encounters. I'll let people read it for themselves, but people like Milton Berle and Norson Wells, and what happens is the interesting things. And yeah, I mean, and especially a guy like Orson Welles, I think that's a very interesting moment in the book, and I won't, I'll won't i leave it at that, but just the well, irony and, of, of two geniuses like that. Yeah, and then my father, he was young, he hadn't seen a lot of movies, he had no idea who most of these people were, sure. so, you know, th- encounters that, that are just amazing to me, yeah, to him they were meaningless, you know. Your, your dad made a movie, even, uh, during the height of all of this. And it's, uh, man, I would love to, has Turner Classic Movies shown it? Did you get a chance to watch it? Oh, sure, I've seen it. In fact, it was on YouTube until recently when the NBC Universal Lawyers uh, had it taken (laughs) down for some reason. But, um, yeah, no, I've seen it. Uh, And, in fact, I I read it's been restored, so... um, Oh, wow. Yeah, there's a restored uh, print floating around. But it's it's a, you know... Donald O'Connor B-movie musical. Uh, Donald O'Connor was 19 at the time, and uh, it's about his uh, adventures as a, I think, naval cadet. Uh, and uh, and my father's in one very long scene uh, where he shows up as himself and wants to join the Naval Academy and uh, then has an interview with the dean who asks him math questions and so on. There, It's it's interesting also to, to look through the scrapbooks of the genesis of the movie and how it happened. Originally, it was supposed to be a Lum and Abner movie. I don't know if you've heard of Absolutely. Lum and Abner. Yeah, radio, another uh, set of radio stars, kind of, uh, you know, uh, down-home sort of humor and everything Lum and Abner. Yeah, yeah. My father, in the pictures, they're one of the few people you can tell he's thrilled to meet. He knew... <laughs> Um, cool. It was supposed to be the movie originally, and then there was another plot, which uh, I really would have liked to see where he's supposed to be hiding in an attic at this school, and professors are, you know, bearded professors are poking their heads up into the attic to ask him questions, which he asks by answers by uh, looking through a huge book, which sounds like a, a great storyline. <laughs> but he's not, he wasn't a good uh, actor, even when he was charming as a child his physicality you know he's one of those people who doesn't know what to do with their bodies and you can see it you can see it even in photos in the scrapbooks where he he looks puzzled by how he's supposed to be waving interesting and and there were 
uh, also, uh, and, and I'm guessing probably not, but uh, the quiz shows did make the tra- transition to early television as well. Again, produced here in Chicago, back when Philadelphia and Chicago were just as important as New York and Los Angeles in terms of uh, network programming. And uh, I don't know if any kinescopes or any sort of recordings survive of the television show. There are, I think I've seen three. Oh, wow. Uh, there's a, the Milton Berle show. There's the uh, show with, um, oh, my God, my mind is uh, going. But uh, no it's in the book, The Lady Who, uh, Kukla oh, Fran. Yes, Fran Allison. Another, Chica- Fran Allison, another Chicagoan. Kukla Fran and Ali. Right. Absolutely, man. And then there was one more that was on YouTube that um, was the one with the hypnotist who was an interesting character who had his own TV show at the time. And he hypnotizes his, my father on this show. And I think that was actually a kinescope put up by his family, uh, which was then also ordered, taken down by NBC Universal. But there are those three TV shows, plus there's the Milton Berle episode where they appeared, which was a crossover uh, where they did each other's shows the same week. Very cool, man. I just can't th- keep getting over just this idea of how famous your dad was as a child, and he really didn't want it. He and and that's that's completely normal. And and you know to just want to you know be and and also just the rough time he had because of his fame, and that's just heart wrenching. And again, I think something the last thing that maybe some people would think given the surface celebrity life that your dad seemed to be living. Well, that's what I mean about like the patina of, um, that, that old people put up their memories. I talked to some people who were, who were friends of his who knew him in college and they were like, Whoa, what do you mean? He was a star. Everyone loved him. Interesting. And, and that's clearly not the case. Clearly not the case. Oh, so, okay. So yeah, they're, again, like you said, through through the fog of memory and stuff, they see it much yeah. happier. Go on. Yeah. No, his sister though had much more accurate uh, recollections on Harriet. Yeah, um, yeah. She had stayed sharp, but yeah, it's uh, fascinating. And I mean, uh, even just in Chicago television, I, I I I know there's so much more I would love to know. He was among all those people. Mary Hartline guested on Quiz Kids. Uh, you know, he he would appear on some of the other shows that were doing uh, coming out of Chicago. I, it's fascinating stuff. To me. I wonder yes. if he. I wonder if Studs Terkel and he ever crossed paths. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, you know, there are all these great old time radio preservation societies and stuff. Did you? Uh, go through any of those channels because that fandom, as you know, with comic fandom and stuff, that's that's its own little culture, and I think doing a great job of really keeping, you know, uh, finding a lot of information about old time radio and then sharing it with people. I went through all the websites. I didn't actually approach any of these people directly, but um, I did. I have been cleaning out that the house that he lived in uh, further, and I've uh, found a bunch of 78s, which I have to try to have digitized now. Oh, wow. And on on them are a few Quiz Kids episodes that were not ever, have not ever been transcribed up to this point. Oh, that's great. Oh, man. You know, I I really hope uh, you're able to restore them and uh, get them out there or whatever. I don't, you know, I I don't know what the, you know, the copyright issues might be. I think a lot of that stuff falls into public domain. Because, I would think so. Yeah. yeah, you know, I mean, and and it would regardless, it would just be great to, you know, get. I assume, did you go to the New York Museum of Broadcasting for a lot of your research? Yes, yes, they had some amazing stuff. Uh, the librarian Jane Klein was incredibly helpful, and uh, they had the cards that NBC typed out for every TV show. Wow. 
for every TV show they put on in the early years, they would type out an index card with the information about it. And <laughs> I found out a lot from that. And that was incredibly helpful. That's amazing. Yeah, man. I, uh, I know other historians that are really trying to track down as much information they can about a lot of these uh, radio shows and, and especially even early television and stuff. God, I went to uh, – I work for uh, the radio affiliate of CBS here in Chicago, WBBM. And I remember as a kid uh, touring uh, the CBS Chicago studios where the Nixon-Kennedy – debates happen and thankfully that was on film but we were i was asking you know we were asking the the people that were in the engineering and master control sections hey do you have a do you have a archive of you know whatever event and they're like no of course not this is 1979 like do you know how expensive videotape is absolutely yeah. not and as he, i'm sure you know famously nasa wiped their own footage of neil armstrong on the moon and had to buy it from someone else and that's why it's not the greatest <laughs> copy that exists anymore. Yeah, everyone did this. The BBC famously waved a lot of tapes. There's that story about uh, Dumont TV uh, yes. kinescope archive being dumped into the East River, <coughs> it, uh, you know, out of a truck in the middle of the night. Yeah, the, yeah, the original Fourth Network. No, I know exactly. I mean, yeah, back in the early days, Dumont was one of the one of the biggest networks. Jackie Gleason and the Honeymooners started on Dumont, and Captain yeah. Video yeah. for us nerds. That's a, <laughs> that was and a the big first uh, Quiz Kids TV broadcast was done. It was for NBC, but it was using the Demont uh, offices and, and studios. Interesting. The broadcast, and then actually, uh, Quiz Kids went on to CBS. I think for its last year and a half, which would have been fifty-two to fifty-three ish. Yeah, you know, um, the mo- the histories of the Quiz Kids that I've read in the past, kind of. I mean, they would talk about the kids, and they'd also talk a lot about that host, Joe Kelly. Uh, yes, you know, and I I don't know what uh, what information regarding your father that you were able to come up with him at all. Well, yeah, it was interesting because, uh, for instance, there's a magazine article from '47 where my father, supposedly written by my father and this other very interesting quiz kid called Rennie Templeton, who became a Marxist poster artist later in life. Interesting. Um, about our friend Joe Kelly and what a swell guy he is, and I I brought that up to my father, and he he snorted a little as if to say I didn't write that probably press it and uh, <laughs> yeah and I, I asked him about Kelly and he was like I don't know he was doing his job I don't you know I don't know anything about him I don't have any feelings any, yeah. anything about the other kids that he was on the show with no I think he had fonder memories about uh, some of them than others but um, you know Richard Williams I, I know was always a friend of his and in fact I found out he did actually meet up once with Richard years after the show which is uh, contradicts something in my book where I said he never saw any of them again but that was the one exception okay um, and then I think later Pat Conlon was uh, was someone he felt close to and and you know the the crazy thing is uh, he was this this amazing you know mathematician Um was he ever really challenged with hardcore math, or was it? Uh, there's that scene in Radio Days, the Woody Allen film that you mention in the book, and it yeah. and and it also sounds like based on a lot of the encounters and even probably celebrity moments that he had, where it was like, all right, real fast, what's uh, sixteen times forty two? 
And you know, like that's the that's the toughest challenge of a math uh, problem that your dad might have to face in a celebrity capacity or probably on the street. But like, you know, did he ever get into like Uber math or anything? And again, I got to say, I'm a layman, so for me, Uber math is probably fractions or something like that. But well, that's the thing. I'm I'm a math layman too. I'm not particularly math minded, so I can't really judge. But he did answer questions on the Quiz Kids that were incredibly complex at times. I, I I can't even describe them properly, but there like, were yeah. Say you're five foot two, and you know you're in a room, and how much space is there between you and the ceiling of a whatever room, and you know just and much more elaborate than that, I'm assuming. Right, right. There's the one I uh, quote in the book, which actually it recurred on the show many times about the the how tall are you, and you walk around the earth, and how much more does your top of your head travel than your feet? There's one he answered on a later show that was about. Um, Someone making scales and uh, repetition. I mean, I can't even describe the problem accurately because I just don't have that kind of mind. Sure. But it is a stunningly, to my mind, difficult problem, which he answers with complete ease. He definitely – he did have a facility for for math. That's evident. Um, But, you know, his life just – during those years, it wasn't taking him in the direction of more facility with math. It was taking him in the direction of – you know, more TV. Yeah, than- yeah. I mean, that's, yeah, it, it really kind of reduced this incredible ability to kind of a, a sideshow act. And that's that's really, really tragic. And, God, especially now with STEM and some of these other projects, and I think the real advances to not only further math, but also really make it interesting for children and stuff, that, you know, what a missed opportunity that in better hands your dad couldn't appreciate his abilities and share them with other people. He went into, he was a professor, but he went into philosophy, correct? Yes. He became a philosopher and, and really entered into the life of the mind as they called it. And did he, do you think, was he happy in that pursuit? Well, happy is a relative thing. Yeah. I think, <laughs> it, um, I don't know. I don't know if he was ever really happy. Wow. Uh, to be honest. Um, I think it was just it was it was like he created a bubble for himself and inside that bubble he could survive. I understood. And what what about your mom? I, and you know like how how did you know obviously they they were able to get together and um again you kind of point out that uh your 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 grandparents were not involved with that relationship and didn't is that correct your mom your grandmother didn't meet your mother until the the wedding day. Yeah, that's true. Wow. He uh, that I heard when I was young that he she had sabotaged every relationship he'd had up till then. Jesus, man! And, and yeah. so, how did your how did your mom, like you know, how, how was it with with her and and your father? How do you mean? Well, like I mean, you know, obviously, I mean, like, did, were they okay? I mean, were they were okay with each other? I mean, was it a was it a happy? Well, again, relative term, happy, but was it a peaceful marriage? Yeah, I would say mostly so because they both, you know, busied themselves in their intellectual careers. And uh, my mother was very much the the authority, okay. you know, in the family. Um, one of the characteristics about my father is that he didn't understand, you know, a lot of things about interpersonal communication. And there was no way he would ever have been able to win an argument. So uh, that was the kind of marriage they had okay. where uh, okay. he lost all the arguments and uh, they got along. You know, he, he he he's very devoted to her. Uh, still, you know, it was it, it was a very it's been a very long marriage. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, definitely, uh, it was 
it was it was the product of a particular time too when you could be a professor sign up you'd be taken care of the rest of your life you could completely immerse yourself in intellectual work and not worry about the outside world and uh that's kind of what they both did so you know you get a certain type of personality when when you get that understood is um did you talk to her about your dad's reluctance to remember and and think about those quiz kid years well, actually, I think um, what I've learned and what I've discussed with her even before she read the book, which she did recently, uh, gave her a different picture of my father than she'd had, actually. She said that to me. Wow. That it had changed in some ways her conception of who he had been. Wow. That's amazing. Um, your dad, uh, wow, you know, leave, after leaving the Quiz Kids, he uh, – it's interesting. He disengaged and, and really left the American culture and, and went to Europe for a while. Yeah, he didn't want to be involved. And I, I, you find people uh, during the 50s and the 60s uh, increasingly saying, uh, well, whatever happened to Joel Kupperman became a catchphrase for a bit. And there's, for instance, an interview with the producer of Ernie Kovacs' talk show I found from 1960 where she's saying she can – boasting she can get to anyone – uh, to interview them for the show. There's no one who can escape her except him. <laughs> That's incredible. Oh, my God. Yeah. That's what I mean, man. I mean, there's all this evidence of your father as this cultural touchstone. And that's well, the bizarre missing element when you look back, of course, is the fame, which, you know, fame can be very uh, odd and very fickle, and it comes and then it leaves, you know, it leaves a residue, but. You know, it's a fame is a bizarre, uh, unpredictable, you know, yeah. thing. Yeah, I, you know, and I and I love uh, the fact too. I'm a huge fan of. Well, I, I appreciate from a historic standpoint. This is going to sound strange, but I am. I'm, I'm I'm fascinated by the quiz, the television quiz show scandals of the '50s and early '60s, and. Uh, the litany of celebrities that were actually actual participants, not just the MCs. And some of these game show names, but like Patty Duke was a contestant on one of these shows, and uh, Dr. Joyce Brothers became famous because of her association with the $64,000 question. And your dad, you know, you know, I, I, it's one of the most interesting parts of the book is your dad kind of deciding, I, well, you, if you would explain his, his return to the, quiz, the television quiz shows. Yeah. Well, first of all, I just want to say I think Dr. Joyce Brothers is a fascinating example because she took what they were doing with the shows, including the the sort of rigged nature of them, and turned it around <laughs> and emerged a victor, which is an incredible story. She, uh, you know, they gave her boxing as a category, and she just studied up on it so much that she completely beat the system. I, I'm a big boxing oh. fan, so I do know this story. And you're right, man. It's it's yeah. She won. She won. She she made it all the way. Was she a contestant? Because uh, for people who maybe haven't seen the Robert Redford uh, film quiz show, and you get into it in the book as well, um, you know, the, the, well, and I'm sure you're going to do it as you describe your dad's story. Sometimes they would decide uh, not only to maybe cheat and give a, a contestant the answers, but it really was very focus grouped in terms of, oh, let's let that pretty person continue. Let's not let this person continue. Was Dr. Uh, Brothers someone that they didn't want to succeed, do you think? Or, um, you know, go on. Yeah, clearly. I think they stacked the deck against her and she simply applied herself and walked right through it. And it, <laughs> it's, I think it's an incredible thing. It's, it's an achievement, genuinely. Agreed. So yeah, your but, dad's experience. Uh, 
Right. So, I mean, I, my father having left the quiz shows, I think it's kind of heartbreaking because I think in his early 20s, we've all been there. Uh, he was thinking, I'm smarter now. I'm sharper. I can, I can win. I can go back on my own terms and win this time. Um, the thing about the quiz kids and the shows of that era is there was almost no money. He was being paid $75 a show. And that, I think, was consistent all through the 10 years he was on it. I don't think there was ever any negotiation or anything. And this was a huge show. I mean, that's the thing. This wasn't just – I mean, this, as, you, as we've discussed, and based on all this celebrity, this was a huge sensation. And I'm glad you brought that up. 75 bucks a week. Yeah. And, yeah. So, you know, he probably – I think by the time he was uh, – when he came back to be on um, $64,000 Challenge, it would have been uh, – he was 21 – and I think clearly he was thinking, I'm sharper now, I'm smart now, and people are making big money. I'm going to go in, make some money for myself, and that'll be it. And he didn't know uh, what he was stepping into, that they had become this kind of poisonous, uh, you know, deeply fixed thing. And I think uh, as when he realized, he was absolutely horrified, and and it really hurt him. Like for the rest of his life, he was deeply paranoid that he would be accused of having participated in something dishonest. And his the, the idea that the quiz kids rigged, it's a silly idea. I mean, especially if you listen to the show. But uh, that had been brought up all through the quiz kids history. Were these kids being coached? Were they being prepared? And so when I think it all hit the fan, it was his worst nightmare come to life. Although, of course, later he claimed, no, I have no feelings about it. But you know, at the same time, please don't tell anyone. Wow. Well, and again, uh, for people who don't know, the quiz, uh, the quiz show scandals really became this huge problem to the point of Senate hearings and uh, mass for a while. It wiped out game shows for a while uh, because, again, they were uh, being done, you know, uh, totally manipulated like bad wrestling. You know the the outcomes were fixed as we as we're discussing the, not only the, the you know the uh, the answers given and stuff but yeah let this pretty person win or oh I like that guy with the gap tooth let him do it and if you see the the Redford film quiz show I think it documents it quite well uh, the stories of Charles Van Doren and Herbert Stemple and that that really does and also there's a very good there was a very good public television documentary that showed uh, the real. Uh, quiz television quiz people of that era. Your dad, you know, yes. Yeah, so your dad. Wow, I can I can appreciate that kind of paranoia. It'd be like you know being called a communist or whatever during the and it was right after or during I should say the last years of the Red Scare because even though McCarthy ended, that continued into the mid sixties of the Un American Activities Committee, and so I can appreciate that kind of fear about stepping into it and getting the hell getting the hell out as quickly as he could. Yeah, and it, it was a, a flawed plan, obviously. Yeah. And then, you know, doing research, I noticed there are references to to the quiz show fixing going on. In, they're in the newspapers years earlier. You can see them in, I don't know, 57, uh, you know, two years before the scandal broke. References to contestants for such and such a show running into the public library with slips of, slips of paper. What's that about? You know, it's it's – 
kind of semi in the open, but it's only the smart people who have really grasped what's going on. And then, yeah, in 59, there's this intense outrage. And even the president, you know, says he, he thinks it's very un-American what's been going on. And people do lose their careers or have the trajectory of their careers uh, changed. And, and I think Louis G. Cowan was actually the worst hit, probably, um, or among the worst hit and lost his career in, in show business, which he'd been you know, a huge force in for decades. Um, but then no one actually, I think maybe one person got a sentence for perjury, but no one else, no one was sentenced to any jail time or got in any legal trouble, really. But a lot of people it, were publicly was, ruined. I know there was very famously a Charles Van Doren who uh, was on 21 and is the subject of, of the movie quiz show and, you know, became a fixture on NBC, was kind of this, a uh, guy yeah. like on Sun- CBS's Sunday morning show, just kind of a guy to turn to for a cultural moment or whatever, and a good-looking kind of Ivy League dude, very famous literal, liter- literary uh, family. Patty Duke uh, it was kind of lucky that she was so young and I guess broke yeah. down on the stand in, in her testimony about the quiz shows and stuff and certainly, uh, you know, had a, had a lovely career post-quiz shows. But, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, these these famous people – that were under massive scrutiny. I mean, and yeah, you think, like I said, the McCarthy period or the payola scams of, of uh, music radio in, in the 50s and stuff. Yeah, just, oof, that was a, that was a very litigious time or I guess, you know, whatever, a lot of, lot of, lot of hearings, a lot of, lot of, lot of congressional well, was, hearings going on. As far as the ones in media and show business, it was, you know, these were new, uh, right. you know, new situations, TV, game shows. Uh, it was, you know, uh, $64,000 question was invented in uh, 55. There was a huge explosion of game shows, and it took uh, four years before they were officially investigated. But, you know, they were making up the rules as they went along. Everything was new. So it's understandable that people took advantage of the situation. Well, and further, you know, it just occurred to me now, kind of in the same way that Zuckerberg and Facebook is being scrutinized, although fecklessly, by, <laughs> by today's Congress. It would be interesting to compare, I think, this scare... Uh, that all of those hearings were, were putting into those uh, new mediums and stuff as as opposed to, again, the ineffectiveness of today. Yeah. Well, people were much more idealistic back then and were really shocked by what had been going on. I think most people are much more cynical now and assume there's dark stuff going on all the time anyway. Yeah, man. Jesus. Well, I'm honestly, this, this is an incredible uh, graphic novel. That I, I really I, I I I feel for you, man, because uh, and and I, I appreciate you sharing this story because I do think it's a very relatable story about you know uh, fathers and sons and parents and children about uh, what what they the, the secrets they don't want you to know and or for you know again whatever reason the things that haunt them and and, I, yeah. and the disconnect and everything. So I as you ask yourself at the end and stuff. I mean, now that you're at the end of the other end of this experience, you, you know. I, Glad you did it. I mean, uh, you know, wh- how do you feel? Um, well, I, fin- I finished pretty recently, actually. Uh, only, you know, it's only been about mm, six, seven weeks since I finished the cover of this book. Wow. So the process, yeah. So it's quite fresh. Sure. Uh, I'm still kind of processing. And uh, this book, you know, as, as you know, it, it opens a lot of questions. So there's still a lot kind of in process that I'm curious to, to know more about. Are you going to go on any sort of tour? Because, um, it, you know, it, it's fascinating. I, as again, as someone who really does love 
old time radio, that's another uh, facet of the book that to me, you know, it's just like a Comic Con when you go to some of these old time radio get togethers and people talk about this. I even wondered if uh, we have a show in Chicago, a great uh, guy who actually is in the comic book business as well, or has been before, Steve Darnell, who uh, worked with Alex Ross on uh, their Uncle Sam graphic novels uh, from about, you oh. know, 20 years ago or so. Um, uh-huh. I, uh, you know, he's got a great old time radio show. I just think this really unveils this, uh, you know, uh, a portion of the quiz, quiz kids history that none of us suspected just as benign listeners. And I think it's fascinating. And I don't know, are you going to go do any sort of, you know, tour in connection with that to, to promote the book and, and tell your story? Well, there's not much planned for right now, but if the book is successful enough, uh, anything is possible, you know. Uh, just have to wait and see. Understood. Well, I hope I hope you do. And I uh, actually even, uh, I'll tell you now, I, I sent a message to Steve saying, hey, you should really talk to this guy. Because, again, I, I it's a Chicago story as well, and Chicago old-time radio, so certainly in the city there's interest. And, and yeah, I, re- I really think this is fascinating, and I hope you get beyond the graphic novel, get a chance to really kind of share this experience to help sell the book, for God's sake. Yes, <laughs> Obviously. yes. So, well, and let's, at the end, as we wrap up, I, I, I want to lighten things up a little bit and talk about your ma- your major body of work, Tales to Thrizzle and everything. How, how, how are things going in the comedy world? Let's lighten things up. Um, I don't know, yeah. that. Uh, I mean, uh, it wasn't going so well. That's part of why I turned to a more serious project in the oh, first man. place. I'm sorry to hear that, man, because... Good lord! Yeah, yeah, your stuff is hilarious, and uh, I know too. If you know, if people are sharp watchers of British uh, comedy, the wonderful show, the IT Crowd, um, you know, and I, and you'll know, you'll obviously provide the the name of the producer or the guy behind it and stuff. But I mean, that's how I first became aware of your comic was uh, right behind uh, Chris O'Dowd, the, uh, the one of the main stars and stuff, uh, right behind his desk. There's a Thrizzle uh, poster right there, and I'm like, oh, and then and then people are like, oh, you gotta read it, man. It's hilarious. Great, funny shit. So uh, yeah, no, that was uh, Graham Linehan, uh, who also did Father Ted, another oh, absolute yes. show. So <laughs> I, I was already a huge fan, and yeah, he, him and some of the English people were very enthusiastic about my uh, my stuff. I understand. Uh, well, really nice. Well, what you know, yeah, and and if I may, well, then maybe 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 we won't end that way. But as a creator, as as a, as a man who who makes his own comics and stuff like that. Um, how how are how are, how is the market treating you? I mean, I've heard both ends of you know, well, you know, things could be better and and whatever. But uh, yeah, what's you know, are you, are you telling me that you've made this choice and move in another direction because you know the the funny books weren't uh, doing it for the audience, or you weren't making the market that you were hoping to? Yeah, no, I mean the the money's just not there. Basically, that's wow. that's the truth. The money's not there. Uh, you know the. Publishers have gotten very conservative. Uh, they're, they're mostly not very good at distribution in comics. So that's why I've spent the last uh, five or six years working on this book, which is really, you know, moving into another area and hopefully out of comics into another market, even though it is a graphic novel. You know, it's really designed to be something that anyone can read, Absolutely. even if they have no experience of, of graphic fiction at all. So uh, that's my thing. I mean, I, even while I was doing the book, I was doing comics. It's just, uh, you know, the, there's so much material now. Uh, everything's saturated with material, and I don't think people particularly want to pay for it if they can avoid it. But I, I did a full bunch of comics on uh, – they're on adultswim.com, and I did a bunch on Vice 
uh, oh, website. Yeah. Yeah. So those are, those are there if you want to check them out. But, uh, you know, right now I'm just kind of punch drunk and waiting to see what's next. I understand. I, well, have, have you thought about some of the, you know, um, crowdfunding uh, uh, venues that people have been using like Kickstarter and GoFundMe and things like that? Yeah, I don't know. I'm uh, maybe I'm old fashioned, but I'm a little wary. I, I don't really. I, 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 I yeah, I, I I just don't know. I hear you, man. Well, Jesus, you're you're seriously, you're one of the funniest guys uh, I know of that uh, is is printing material. And what uh, I hope that uh, all the answers uh, helps move your career along. And again, I, I think uh, this is a hell of a story, and I and I'm uh, really so, glad that. Uh, I became aware of it and, and really appreciate you coming on to talk a lot about, uh, you know, your dad's experience and your journey trying to get to the bottom of uh, this really interesting point in your dad's career. I think it's a hell of a story to tell, and I, I'm glad it's out there, and I'm happy to help you uh, push it. It's, it's uh, as, as we drop this uh, episode, it will be available and is available uh, through the usual channels, Amazon, and uh, I don't know. I uh, Do you have a good network of, of local stores that you... Uh, Kind of say, hey, by the way, this is coming out. I hope you'll you know support me or whatever. Not really. I'm doing events at two comic stores. Comic Book Jones and Staten Island actually have been extremely good to me, and uh, I'm uh, that's why I'm doing my first event with them. And then there's a um, Escape Pod Comics in Huntington, New York. But no, uh, the comic book stores keep disappearing. As soon as I have a relationship with them, they vanish. So well, I know that's how. I, so many times over the last few years. I, I know I saw you at uh, Challengers Comics in Chicago, and oh yeah, that was a fun uh, fun weekend. Well, I hope I hope you come back, and especially for this book. I think, uh, yeah, man, I, I think we need to we need you to get to make the rounds if you can uh, in Chicago, because again, this is an incredible Chicago story, and uh, I, I think a lot of people would really find it interesting. I man, hit the hit that local media, man. I'm telling you, there, you know, GN and. Uh, uh, all the other, all, all the other Chicago affiliates. Truly, man, I, I uh, like I said, I work at my news station at uh, the CBS uh, Sh- Chicago News Radio station, and I'm like, I don't know if they, they, you know, that would be interesting. I hope, I hope it would be to be a little feature or something like that. But I, yeah, yeah. I think if you'd hit these bookstores and everything, you got a, you got a good Chicago story here, man. That's a good idea. Yeah, yeah, it's true. It is very Chicago. So well, and again, I think broadcasting as well. People, you know that. I mean, I, I you know, again, I think you're. You were trying to connect with your father, but your father happened to be this very interesting uh, media star that, as as you said, fame can be fickle. And it's it's, yeah. it's just incredible. All the Answers yeah. by Michael Kupperman. Uh, thank you for talking to me today, and uh, really good luck with the book and uh, whatever else you want to do. You're a funny man, man. I, I hope you should be making money uh, being funny because you're good at it. Well, thank you so much, John. Thank you. Check out All the Answers. It's already out, and it's an incredible graphic novel from Michael Kupperman. Today's Word Balloon is brought to you by Comics Experience, the world's most respected online comic book university, now publishing through SourcePoint Press. If you're an aspiring comics creator, Comics Experience offers a full slate of courses, as well as a 24-7 online creator's workshop to help you hone your skills, network, and collaborate with other tested creators. And ultimately, they offer a path to publication with a reputable publisher. Their instructors and staff are working professionals in their field and trained instructors. Critiques and reviews are by peers and professionals alike. Their alumni have worked for all major publishers, and their name graces the fronts of books routinely solicited by the Big Two and the front of previews publishers. 
Comics Experience was founded by Andy Schmidt, former Marvel and IDW editor and author of the upcoming book, The Comics Experience Guide to Writing Comics, specifically to help those trying to break into the industry. You can learn more about Comics Experience programs, including the publishing program, at comicsexperience.com. Don't forget to sign up for their newsletter when you stop by the website, and you can follow Comics Experience on Twitter at Comic Experience. Today's Word Balloon brought to you by the League of Word Balloon listeners. Thank you very much, League, for your continued support of Word Balloon. And uh, if you want to help the cause, you can subscribe by going to uh, patreon.com slash wordballoon or wordballoon.com and click on the Patreon ad. Thank you very much for your support. As always, League of Word Balloon listeners. Word Balloon is also brought to you by InStock Trades at InStockTrades.com. Great books from Michael Kupperman from InStock Trades. You can get the first volume of Tales Designed to Thrizzle. It's just 50% off for the trade paperback, $11.49. You can also get volume two in hardcover, 30% off, $17.49. And a hilarious uh, version of Mark Twain's autobiography from uh, 1910 to 2010, his his, uh, years post-death, all uh, chronicled by Michael Kupperman. 30% off, $13.99. Great books at great prices from InStockTrades.com. Thanks again for listening to Word Balloon. I hope you have a wonderful Memorial Day weekend. In addition to this episode, I've also released one with Jesse Blaze Snyder. Jesse is back, the son of D. Snyder of Twisted Sister, to talk about his new graphic novel, Kings of Kings, and its Indiegogo campaign. Plus, uh, we uh, look back at some of uh, Jesse's other great comic book projects and just a good conversation. So join me to talk with uh, Jesse Blaze Snyder, also released today at wordballoon.com. So have a great weekend. We will talk next week. Word Balloon is a copyright feature of Shaky Productions. Copyright 2018. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.